I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 9 with me this morning. Revelation chapter 9. It had been four days since my family and I moved into our new house in Phoenix, Arizona. Everything was coming together nicely. The cable guy had finally come to hook up our TV and internet. And I was sitting with my husband while we were watching TV when I felt something tickle my arm. Then a second tickle and a brush of my arm. Then suddenly, a sharp pain. I jumped up and yelled. I looked down and saw, Is that a scorpion? My husband confirmed it. I was screaming at him, asking him what we should do. After the scorpion sting, I experienced the following problems. Little bumps around the sting site. Sharp pain up through the top of my arm. A feeling like my throat was closing. Numbness pretty much everywhere. As the night progressed, my whole face was numb and I couldn't focus on anything. Tingling like when your foot falls asleep, but I couldn't wake this tingling up. Twelve, after, twelve hours after being stung by the scorpion, I still had numb feet, hands, nose, and ears. Those effects remained for a large part of the next day. My feet were the last to feel normal. According to poison control, some of the numbness can last several weeks. This was written by a lady named Carrie, who was a resident of Phoenix, Arizona, after her scorpion sting. One of the blessings of living in Michigan is that we don't have to deal with scorpions. They are found nearly in all the southern states and uh, much of the west, and even in some of the plain states, but very rarely are they found in the Midwest or the Northeast. These scorpions can be pretty torturous little creatures. In fact, some of their stings are known to be fatal to humans. And what we're going to read about this morning is the fifth trumpet judgment. And, and these stings that will come upon humankind will be much like the stings of scorpion, though the scorpions. So let's read about this in Revelation chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death, and it will not find them. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name is Hebrew. in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes 
are still coming after these things. Let me try to give you a summary of where we are in these judgments. These judgments happen following the rapture. The very next event on the prophetic calendar is for Christ to rapture His church. We will meet the Lord in the air. This is not the second coming of Christ. At least it's not the full uh, version of it. That will come later when He comes and touches down. But, but this is where He takes the church up to the air. We will be spared from these tribulation judgments. The tribulation lasts for how many years? Seven years. Okay, We've already looked at several of these years. The first three and a half are seen in the first sets of judgments. Remember, there's three series of judgments. There's the seven seal judgments. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, takes the scroll from the Father and He opens the scroll. The way He opens the scroll is one seal at a time. Each seal gives another judgment. These judgments include things like uh, peace on the earth through the Antichrist. There will be, uh, following peace, there will be wars and famine and, and death. A quarter of the world will die during this first, uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Uh, those six seal judgments make up the first three and a half years of the tribulation. When the seventh seal is opened, it gives way to the seven trumpet judgments that we've been looking at. Okay, so in other words, included in the seventh seal judgment are the seven trumpet judgments. We looked at the first four of those last week. These trumpet judgments begin at the, the midpoint of the tribulation after the three and a half years. And the first trumpet judgment we saw was blood and hail sent from heaven. The second was a meteorite of some kind that lands in the ocean destroys a third of the sea life and a third of all the ships on the water. The third trumpet judgment is another meteorite of some kind that makes the water poison or bitter. The fourth trumpet judgment was darkness on a third of the land for a third of the day and a third of the night. And these trumpet judgments point us back to God and, and, and the plagues that He brought upon Egypt. We looked at that last week. Now between the fourth judgment, trumpet judgment that we looked at last week, and the fifth judgment that we're looking at here, we had the eagle climb up to the top of the sky, or soar up to the top of the sky, and he claims that these three woes are coming. And we just read in verse 12, look at verse 12 again, the first woe is past. So what we know is that this fifth trumpet judgment is the first woe. It's a woeful judgment. Not, not that these other judgments are, are, are um, good, that, that they, uh, they bring great joy and, and pleasure to everyone. It, it means that these are much worse. If those were bad, the first three and a half years, and these first four trumpet judgments, if those were bad, these last three are worse. We'll look at the first one. It's a woeful judgment. Woe, woe, woe to those who are on the earth. And that's what we're looking at today, this fifth trumpet judgment, the first woe judgment announced by the eagle. We'll see first the destruction of the locusts. The destruction, or I should say by the locusts in verses 1 through 3. Notice who keeps these locusts where they are right now. Then a fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Okay, so who is this that gets the, that receives the key from, for the bottomless pit to open up and send out all these locusts? Who is that? Well, 
According to John, it's a star. See that in verse 1? A star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. Now the key word there is the word fallen. That's past tense. That has already happened. John didn't see the star fall like we saw in, in the first sets of trumpet judgments where the star, he said the star was falling to the earth and we, I said, I suggested that's probably some sort of meteorite. He said it was like a mountain burning, a mountain on fire that comes through the sky. So likely some uh, astronomical uh, piece of cosmic, cosmic uh, matter that comes into the earth and burns up when it reached the earth's atmosphere. Not, not a real star. We, we saw that. And, and for us, we understand this because the word star in the English language has multiple meanings in our language, doesn't it? Sometimes when we say star, we mean something up in the sky. We mean a, a star in the sky that we see at night. Other times, we're referring to a movie, uh, a movie actor or a, a, an athlete. They're a superstar, right? So, so we have different meanings as well, and I believe that John did um, in his day also. In the Bible, star is referred to. Star is used in several different ways. It can refer to a heavenly body like it is in, in, in uh, chapter 8. But it can also refer to an angel. In Job chapter 38, verse 7, it says that the morning stars were there at the foundation of the earth, at the, the creation. So apparently the angels were created first, and then the creation happened, and the morning stars were, were there to praise God. Not, not the stars in the sky, but the angels. Now, we know that this this star here that has fallen is likely, uh, or I should say, we, we probably know that this is an angel because the star does something, doesn't it? The star receives a key to the bottomless pit and then opens the key to the bottomless pit. So normally, uh, a heavenly body, a star in the sky, would not do something like that. It wouldn't really do anything. It just sits there. Uh, so... This star here in chapter 9 receives the key to the abyss and opens it. So who is this star? I said the key word there is fallen. And uh, some would argue that this is a star who is a holy angel, that he alone has the, the power over these locusts, that he is, is kind of the watchman of their cage, of their prison. And so their argument is that, that God would never give power to a demon to, to watch out over other demons. In other words, the gatekeeper of demons, or, or I should say locusts, are, are, would never be a demon. But doesn't God give uh, some limited power to, to, say, to demons as it is? They cannot do anything apart from God's permission. We, saw, we see this in, in the book of Job. When Satan comes before God, and he said, God... Uh, God says, Satan, where have you come from? He says, I've been roaming to and fro on the earth. And, uh, and, he's, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, yeah, well, of course. Job's righteous because he's been given everything. So why don't you let me, that's the key word, let, give me permission to do what I want to Job, and I'll show you that he's only serving you because you're giving him things. So he's accusing Job before God. He's saying, Job is not a righteous person. Now, why wouldn't Satan just go and do those things? Because in some way, God has 
power, or I should say ultimately, God has power over Satan that Satan has to get permission. It's like Satan is on a leash. He can only go as far as God allows him to go. And that, I believe, is what's happening here. That's why I would say this is not a holy angel who is this star, but rather a fallen angel, an evil angel. And I would take this fallen angel to be the same person that's mentioned in verse 11. Look at verse 11. After it describes these locusts, John says, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Okay, so I would take this this being who has who receives the key to be the same person in verse eleven, the angel of the abyss. And we get several names for this angel. First, we see at the first part of the verse in verse eleven that he is king over them, over these locusts. We'll talk more about who these locusts are. And then later on, his name is Abaddon and Apollyon. Abaddon in in the Hebrew language is a word that means destruction or death. Um, we don't have time to turn there, but Psalm 88.11, Psalm 88.11, Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Will your faithfulness be declared in Abaddon? There is a parallel structure in that verse. Will it be declared in the grave? Will it be declared in Abaddon? And what the psalmist is doing there is helping us see a synonym here. That the Abaddon is literally destruction or death. Uh, the word Apollyon is a Greek word, as John says there in his in his uh, letter. And this Greek word means destruction as well. So whoever this is, whoever this angel of the abyss is, his name is destruction. His name is death. And uh, he's also the the king of of these locusts. And I will argue later that these locusts are actually demons. And so who is the king of demons? Who is the ruler of the demons? Is it not Satan himself? Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus calls him the, the ruler of the demons. And so taking all this together, it seems that this destroyer, this one who, who gives these locusts the ability to leave, the, the one who receives the key, the key from the angel, is Satan himself. He unleashes these demons to torment people. And they will do so for five months. And this should give us encouragement here. The fact that God is giving a key to Satan speaks to the same thing that I talked about earlier, and that is that Satan has to receive the key from God. He, he has to get permission from God. He can't do anything to you or any other creature on this earth without the permission of God. It has to be a part of God's full and final plan. Now, Look back up to verse 1 because we see where these locusts reside. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him and he opened the bottomless pit and the smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts. So where do the locusts reside before this fifth trumpet judgment? In the bottomless pit. What is this bottomless pit? Where else do we see it? Turn over to uh, Luke chapter 8 with me. Luke chapter 8. Jesus comes across a, 
a man who is possessed by a legion of demons. In Luke chapter 8, verse 27. And this will give us a window into who these locusts are as well as where they reside before this judgment. Luke chapter 8, verse 27. And when He, Jesus, came out onto the land, He was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, He cried out and fell before Him and said in a loud voice, What business do you have? Do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. So, so we know that these demons have an idea of what happens in this abyss. That it's some sort of, of place of bondage for a portion of the demons. Now we recognize that all, not all demons are bound to this abyss, but there are many who are. And we'll see this here in Revelation. That, that just scores of demons that possess, I would say, these locusts, like these locust-like creatures, and do damage here what's happening is there's a man that's possessed by a legion of demons and when the demons recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, they, they, they say, what business do we have with each other? And Jesus says, come out of the man. And they said, well, well don't send us to the abyss. Don't send us to the bottomless pit. That's the same word that's used in the Greek language that we have in Revelation 9. Don't send us there. They recognize that it was a place of of bondage. Turn to Jude on your way back. Second to last book of the Bible, Jude. Chapter 1, verse 6. Jude talks about some of these demons who in some way were, were taken into bondage early. That there There is going to be an eternal torment that the demons will experience, but, but this is actually early. Something happened. Verse 6 says, And angels who do not keep their own domain but abandon their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. This likely is uh, who is in the abyss, these demons who have abandoned their former state. You can turn back to chapter 9 now of Revelation. Because the home of these creatures, these demons, is the bottomless pit. At some point during the tribulation, following the, uh, in the second half of the tribulation, following the fourth trumpet judgment, Satan himself will receive a key to that bottomless pit and be able to open it and allow these demons to come out. We're introduced to them in verse 3 that they come out with this great smoke that fills the sky. And it should remind us this darkening of the sky of the eighth plague of Egypt. Uh, with, when the locusts come on the land, they, they, they eat up all the vegetation in Egypt. It's a great, uh, a great tragedy for those people, Exodus 10, verses 14 and 15. But these are no ordinary locusts, are they? We'll see that more when we look at their description and their torment. But for now, we should recognize that verse 3 says that they have great power. Look at the end of the verse. And power was given them 
as the scorpions of the earth have power. These locusts are not your ordinary locusts. You'll see that the the place that they attack is not normally where they would attack. Locusts would attack vegetation, right? These will actually attack humans. Now we'll see their likeness. Skip down to verse 7. Verses 7 through 10, the likeness of these locusts. And, and as I read these verses again, notice how many times John uses the word like. John uses the word like several times to describe something that he's never seen. And this tells you that this is a supernatural creature. These are supernatural creatures that we're looking at. Verse 7 says, The appearance of the locusts was like horses for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And, their, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. John uses the word like eight times in these four verses shows how hard it must be for him to imagine, to describe to some people, the, the readers, something that he's never seen before, that no one's ever seen before. <clears throat> and so this imagery is, is highly symbolic, I believe. I believe that these things are not just given to us just to give us a picture of what they look like, <clears throat> but, but to show that these are demons. First, verse they are like horses prepared for battle. Horses were used in biblical times, I think almost in every reference. They're, they refer to the power that kings have or that people have. They have a horse, they have power. Uh, so this is likely what this is representing with these locusts. On their head appeared to be crowns of gold. Now, there's something on their head that made them look as if they were shimmering like gold. Their faces were like a man's face. They didn't have a man's face, but they had very human-like features on their face. It probably refers to their intelligence. Like, if you remember back from, I think, chapter 5 with the four living creatures that are up in heaven, the angels, one of them had the head like a face of a man. And that, I, I said at that time, probably referred to the intelligence of the angels. But these creatures are much smarter than scorpions or any other insect because like humans, they will be intelligent. They will be creative in the way that they can attack. They will not be fearful. You recognize since the time of the fall, animals have feared man. They have been fearful of man. And so when they attack you, they only do it out of fear. But at this time, there will be no fear in these locusts-like creatures. They will attack with reckless abandon and they will do it in creative ways and inflict pain on people on the earth. Verse 8 says they have hair like the hair of women, teeth like the teeth of a lion, probably talking about their power, their brutality, that they don't care if, if, the, if the creature that's in, the lion doesn't care if the creature in its mouth is making noise, right? He just continues to... to uh, to be brutal against his enemy, and I believe that these locusts will be similar. They have breastplates, breastplates like breastplates of iron. The breastplate is designed to protect the chest area, the vital organs that are behind that breastplate. And apparently, these locusts will be so ferocious that they will not be able to be squashed. 
they will be they will be protected from being killed. And then the sound of their wings, verse nine, was like the sound of chariots. John hears the sound, and it, it pictures this locust plague that came in, that swept through the area, made this loud buzzing sound. And John tried to to mimic that sound or, or tried to show what that sound would sound like. Verse 10 says that they have tails like scorpions and that they sting. And in their tails they have the power to hurt men for five months. So, So their purpose, their purpose is to torment humans, to inflict as much pain as they possibly can at any cost. I mean, isn't it amazing that people worship Satan they worship the things of this world. And the very one, their father, Jesus calls, those who are liars, they, they follow their father who is the father of lies, right? Those people who are worshipers of their father, Satan, will be tormented by Satan's creatures. Satan, you'll see this more clearly even next time we, we look at the end of this chapter, when Satan turns on them and he seeks to destroy humans, that's what he wants to do. Because he can't stand that a human would ever have the possibility to turn their heart to God and give it to Him. In order to avoid that embarrassment on his part, he seeks to destroy those who are made in the image of God, not giving them an opportunity to repent. So as long as God allows him to, he will continue to try to destroy humans along with his army of demons. Look back up to verses 4 through 6 because we see their activity. We do see that they are pretty devastating, but they do have restrictions. There are, there are several restrictions that God puts on these demons. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth. You remember in chapter 8 that all of the green grass had burned up from that falling mountain, that, that, that mountain-like thing, the meteorite likely. Okay, so, so they're not allowed to herd the grass. Apparently some grass has grown back or the dormant grass has now become green again and they're not allowed to go after that. That's what we would expect, right? When locusts come out, they would go and attack all the greenery. But God says they're not allowed to. Nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were permitted, they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So they have some restrictions. They can't go after vegetation. They can't go after these green things. Instead instead they go on they go after humans. And the only ones who are protected from this are the ones who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now who is that? We saw this uh, in chapter 7. It's 144,000 Jews. They have the seal of God on their forehead and they are protected from death. They're protected, in addition to from death, they're protected from this torment from these demons. And that means that besides these 144,000 Jews, that these demons will likely torment every single human on the face of the earth, whether it be unbelievers or believing Gentiles. They will be tormented for five months 
by these demons. Now notice, they can't go all the way. Verse 5 says that they're restricted from killing anyone. They're restricted from killing people. And they have a length of time that they can do this for. They can't do this forever. They can only do it for five months. God puts a start time on it, giving the key. He puts a stop time on it. Five months. You can't kill anyone. Notice their effect. The end of verse five it says they have a they they torment like their torment is like a scorpion sting, but it's much worse. Now, why would it be much worse than a scorpion sting? Well, how do scorpions normally travel? By bus? No, through the air? Not really. No, they crawl around on the ground. But these will be flying through the air, and they will be able to hide in the darkness. And because of their intelligence, they will be able to attack when you least expect it. Charles Ryrie notes that in the first, that, that in one locust plague, it was estimated that there were 130 million locusts covering one square mile, half the size of the city of Clawson. 130 million locusts. If, there, if this, right here in chapter nine, will be anything like that locust plague that Rory talks about, this will be pain beyond imagination. You will not be able to get away from this torturous sting of this, these creatures. And that's why we have these words in verse 6. They're very sobering. And in those days, men will seek death and it will not find, and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. They will long to die because the torture is so great. They would rather have death. Turn back to chapter 6 in your Bibles. Chapter 6, verse 16. This sort of mentality came earlier in, in the first half of the tribulation with the sixth seal. We had this great earthquake and and after these a quarter of the world had died. Look at, look at what these people say in verse 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come and who is able to stand? Fall on us. Destroy us. Protect us from this torment that we're receiving. In other words, the way that we are protected through death. We would rather die than to have to experience this torment. And so in chapter 9, people will believe that death is the escape from this torment. That the, the unbearable cruelties of this life will be escaped if they could just die. And so apparently, according to this verse, people will not be able to die during this time. They will try to sink and drown, but they won't be able to for five months. They will try to poison themselves, but they won't be, it, the poison won't kill them. And amazing, amazingly, even knives and guns will do no harm to them. Well, at least it will not kill them. I believe it actually will do harm to them, and they'll have long-term effects from that. But they won't be able to finally die. Now, that may sound kind of neat. Like, wow, they, a person could avoid death. That's one of the scariest things that there is in life. 
but this will be no pleasant alternative. People would rather have death over having to experience the stings of these locusts. So, we have this devastating judgment, and it doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? So, who can be spared from this devastating judgment? Who can be spared? Well, according to verse 5, only the, uh, only the 144,000, only the 144,000 can be spared, excuse me, verse 4, from this judgment. And I think by application or implication, we could say that the only way that we can be spared from this judgment is if we have died first and already have gone to hell, or if we are spared on the basis of our relationship in Jesus Christ. Only those who have the seal of God on their forehead. Now that's referring to some sort of special protection that God gives to these Jews. But, but in order to protect ourselves from the greater and final judgment of God that will be much worse, we have to rest in Jesus Christ. I'll talk about this more in a second. Look at verse 12 because we see the summary of their devastation. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming. Remember, before, before opening this seventh seal judgment, which is the seven trumpet judgments, before opening that, what was heaven like for a half hour? Silent. These judgments are great. This woe that we've looked at is great, but these next two woes are still coming. It's not over yet. This will have a time where it will end. And you must be sitting here thinking, as I did when I was studying through this, that all of these judgments that we're thinking about are just unimaginably horrific. And you're right. But this first woe, this torment that will come on the earth, is only a comparison, a minor comparison of what it will be like in hell. Now, there will be some similarities. Hell will be marked by torment. Jesus talked about this. He said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That the worm will not die. The pain, the torture will not go away. And so it will be similar in that, that they will not receive the final death that they desire. See, these people on the earth here that are being judged by God through this locust plague, they will seek death, but it will escape them. And that's exactly the way it will be in hell. They will wish they could just just wisp out into annihilation, into non-existence, while they're being tormented in hell day after day after day. And yet, final annihilation will not come. There will be a continual dying. That's what hell is. So in that way, it is like hell. But for this torment, this actually has an end, doesn't it? This judgment lasts for how long? Five months. Hell will last for an eternity. There will be no end to it. So at the end of this trumpet judgment, apparently people will be able to reflect back on what happened to them and to their family. And they will be able to look to God and apparently having heard the gospel from these Jews and these believing Gentiles could possibly repent during this time, right? They have an opportunity to repent. To recognize that 
it's God who's in control of all things and that He is the one who allows these things to happen and that Satan and his friends, at the first chance they get, want to torment humans and so they are no friend of me. I'm going to turn to God by believing in Jesus. And so at the end of this plague, they will have an opportunity to turn, but in hell, that will not be the case. Those who are there will never have an opportunity. In fact, I believe that they, don't want, they won't want to turn. They will be so steeped in their sin against God that, that we, we'll read about this later in chapter 21 or 22 where it says that their sin continues throughout all of eternity. Let those who sin continue to sin. In other words, that sin is, is just perpetuating in hell. Their defiance against God. It's not like they're begging on their knees, please get me out of here. Maybe they want to get out of there, but, but please, I want to turn to you. How could you do this to me, God? Is more of their plea. And their hatred is evident. So what we learn today is that there's no final deliverance from the power of Satan and his demons other than turning to Christ. The torment that will be much greater than this fifth plague, fifth trumpet judgment, the torment in hell can only be spared when it's put upon Jesus Christ. The eternal judgment that came upon Him and was satisfactory to take care of your sins and the wrath that you deserve because of your sin. You should also learn that God is in control over everything in the world, even the evil acts of demons. Satan doesn't have unfettered access to the abyss. He can't just go in and release demons whenever he wants. God has locked this portion of demons in there. And only God is the one who can give him the keys. So we should take great hope and joy in that. That although Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within. Upward we look and see Christ there who made an end to all of our sin. And this, I believe, this devastating judgment is a part of God's larger plan. The first four trumpet judgments focus on the devastation that will come on the earth, the harming of the grass and the earth, the meteorite that destroys much of the sea, a third of the sea, the, the bitter water, the darkness. Those are the things that happen to the earth, but there's no real attack on humans at that point, at least not like this. But when God releases these demons that you're going to see again in the sixth trumpet judgment and the seventh, you see a part of God's larger plan that, that the demonic world is evil and wicked And you also see how depraved the human heart is because after the next judgment, it's going to be extremely devastating. A large portion of the world dies in the sixth plague judgment and still people recognize that it comes from God and they still will not repent. And it shows you the wickedness of the human heart left to itself. If God doesn't come in and do a work in there, our human hearts would destroy us. And now, through these difficult judgments, we have even clear evidence that God shows mercy even though 
the people who the world follows, or, or the demons who the world follow, are no friends of theirs. God is a friend of those who turn to Him. How should we respond? There's such a shocking prophecy of what will happen during the second half of the tribulation. How shall we respond? I think it would be appropriate to respond like Katerina von Schlegel responded to a trial. And her response is the words of one of my favorite hymns. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. And then Martin Luther in his great hymn. And though this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. His fate is already determined. His end is already planned by God. We don't have to fear Him because we fear the God who controls Him. We fear the God who has power over Him. That word, Martin Luther goes on to write, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. But His truth abideth still because His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Father, it is extraordinary to think about the, the devastation that will come through these judgments. And when we think of our own unworthiness, we recognize that we deserve to be a part of these judgments and a part of the eternal judgment in hell by You. Because we have opposed You. We have been Your enemy. We have hated You and hated Your Word from the time that we were young. And there's no reason that we deserve to even come before Your presence now. There's no reason that we deserve to spend an eternity in heaven other than that Jesus Christ's blood and righteousness has been applied to our account. And He has marked all of our debt that stands before You as paid and in full with His blood. And not only that, have we not be, are we no longer Your enemy, but now we're one of Your children because of Christ's righteousness, we are seen by You as if we had done all the righteous acts that Christ has done. When He obeyed You perfectly, it was as if we did, even though we didn't. And that speaks to our unworthiness before You. We don't deserve to stand before You. We don't deserve Your grace. For some reason, You've poured it out upon us not because of anything that we have done, not because of works of righteousness, 
but according to Your mercy. And so, as we reflect on this judgment, we also reflect on Your mercy and are amazed at it and ask for You to continue to pursue us, to continue to pursue Your mercy, and to participate in in a righteous life that You use as the means of giving us grace following our salvation. We need Your help. We need Your care. We need Your protection. We pray that You'd call out more people for Your name's sake. That You would use us, even this Thanksgiving holiday season. That we'd have opportunity to speak to people we otherwise would not be able to and be able to share with them the horrors of Your coming judgment and how they, the things of this world and the troubles in this world pale in comparison to the, to the torment that will be had by those who oppose You, who fail to repent. Help us to plead with them, to show mercy to them. Recognize that if it were not for the grace that You give to us, there go we. Help us to see ourselves rightly, to see You rightly, and to see other people in light of it, and to praise You for Your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.